On today's episode of Let's Grow Together, I talk with former professional NFL football player Nick Murphy. And it is so amazing to be able to talk to him and share his experiences from going from an NFL athlete and his experience through college, you know, and through the NFL to them where he is today, you know, as a business coach and different businesses that he's had and his experience in, in being able to be successful. And now he has five kids, and a lot of things going on, um, but his mental awareness and emotional intelligence is so high. And I feel that that is so clear. And there's so much valuable insight in today's episode that I know you're going to enjoy. So let's dive in. But first, the intro. Welcome to Let's Grow Together. My name is Nick Monatotibus, motivational speaker and digital marketing strategist. And this podcast is all about helping you grow both in life and business. Let's dive in. All right, we are here and I am excited. I love having amazing guests on the show and this individual is no different. Um, I am proud to introduce Nick Murphy. Welcome to the show. So, my friend, how are you? It's good to, good to finally do this. I know it's been on the books for a little bit, so I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm glad we're able to make this work, you know, with, with my move. And I know things come up constantly. Um, you know, it's yeah. a crazy changing world, so I appreciate you being here. So, real quick, tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, and who you serve. Jeez, I mean, I could take an hour just trying to explain my crazy background. Um, <laughs> My name is Nick Murphy. I'm a, I'm a marketing coach and like serial entrepreneur. I'm a father of five. Uh, I've got a ton of crazy experience from my first job out of college was playing NFL football uh, all the way through starting, I think, five or six different companies now uh, in the job board space originally, a talent acquisition uh, and recruitment advertising, all the way to helping parentpreneurs figure out how to navigate things like five kids and still growing digital businesses. So uh, right now I'm, I'm focused primarily on helping six-figure entrepreneurs clarify their message and really expand their reach uh, by cutting through a lot of the noise. I think that's, that's really the challenge for online entrepreneurs right now is everything. Forget the election and all the ads and all that other stuff that's going on right now, but just the sheer amount of noise and fighting over people's attention. If you can't cut through and have a message that resonates with your ideal audience and pull them into your world, you've got absolutely no chance of selling anything to them. So uh, that's what I'm really focused on now and, and having learned the hard way uh, over 15 years as an entrepreneur, probably spent a million dollars of, of both my money and other people's money on doing things um, not always perfectly. So I, I try to try to help entrepreneurs with, with that from that crazy weird background. Love it. Yeah. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that I wanted to dive into your NFL career as an Eagles fan. Oh. <laughs> I should move this plant. My hair always looks crazy on webcams, but I feel like it's growing out of like do what I gotta do. No, you look great. You're good. So tell us, tell us a little bit. So you know, you obviously, you know, you mentioned playing professional football, and that is like so awesome. Um, but you know, what you often don't hear is like life after football. And so, you know, you've got this like journey, and I'd love to kind of dive into what that journey was like. Um, you know, from from being a professional athlete and how that's transitioned and also potentially how that's helped you. Um, so, you know, if you could just kind of talk us a little bit about how that, you know, your experience in the NFL, and I'd love for you to talk about the Eagles if you could, because obviously uh, I am a fan. <laughs> I'll do that. I think we've all seen those signs or the posters or like everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. 
I can say the same thing. Felt what I was able to learn about myself, about resilience, about teamwork, about doing your job, about being accountable, about not making excuses, about showing up and doing the work, all those things um, were taught obviously by my parents. And, and I was fortunate to, to grow up in a loving household with parents who were good examples and, and tried to hold me accountable. Uh, but being around coaches and being around peers and going through that experience as an athlete, particularly as I got to, to Arizona State, and into the NFL, it was every level you move up, you're just surrounded by people who, and this is the interesting part about the NFL or, or any pro sport, is that when you're young, like the talent gap between your best player on a little league team and the worst player is like this. And as you move up the levels, the talent gap actually gets like this. And so one of the things that was really helpful, I think, for me that, that I've taken with me is that in the NFL, you're surrounded by professionals. And when you play with guys like Randy Moss and Ray Lewis and Brian Dawkins and Tony Gonzalez and, you know, the millions of like dozens almost of Hall of Famers that I was able to play with, uh, you see how they handle their business. And yeah, they're freaks athletically. But there's a lot of athletic freaks that are in prison or, or screwed up somehow or, or didn't get the grades. Uh, and so just the, the discipline and the professionalism in terms of doing your work and really honing your craft and getting better every single day, even when you're the best in the world, um, was something that really inspired me. And I think that's a lesson that I try to keep in the back of my head because you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And there is no staying the same, uh, no matter what level you're at. So that was, that's probably the biggest takeaway I think that I've, I've taken away from it. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. And again, you know, naming some big people, which is really cool. And like you said, you know, business, because, you know, again, it is their job, you know, and as a spectator, we often, you know, don't always see it like that. You know, you're like, you just get to play football, you know, but it is a job and there's, you know, tons of pressure that, that comes yeah. into it. Um, it's like anything, thing, honestly, like I remember, and I, I try to it triggered something for me. So I, I wanted to just touch on it. It is a job. And just like any job, there are days where you just don't want to do it. There are days where you don't want to go to the practice field for three hours in the heat. There are days where you don't want to get up at five and go to the gym. Like there are just days you don't want to do it. It's like any other job, sales or, or manual labor, or, you know, whatever we do, when it's a job, when it's a requirement, when it's how you make a living, there are those inevitable days where you just don't feel like it. And so the mental game that we have to learn to play of preparing yourself and following the process. And I think that was, that's what football in particular is really good at because you don't sound like baseball where you play. 300 days a year and you practice once it's almost the opposite you're always practicing and always preparing for very very few shots actually go out there and show out and so that process of following the plan and, and showing up when you don't want to and anticipating that feeling coming so that you can power through it in the moment is is really really important both in sports and also in business yeah absolutely um and i think it's such an important aspect like you mentioned and you again having having those struggles um you know but put in the work so i'm curious um from like a habit standpoint and routines are what are some of like the habits and mindsets that you needed to adopt as a professional athlete um and then also bringing those into your you know current life i know you mentioned like continuous growth but you know other actual habits as well Habits are tricky, and actually, I have a book right next to me right now uh, that I'm rereading for like the fifth time. If you guys haven't read Atomic Habits, it's amazing. Yeah, um, read it five but times. Habits can get tricky. Yeah. <laughs> habit stacking is important, and and 
really at the end of everything, I think if you're going to be mentally tough, if you're going to do anything around what this entire podcast is about, it, it starts with self-awareness. And you have to be self-aware from a non-judgmental place. You have to just be able to call out like, oh, isn't that interesting that this is my default behavior. This is my default reaction in these instances. And do it without judgment because once you've identified it, you have a chance to kind of reverse engineer a solution to it. But um, being able to be self-aware of things, anticipate that they're going to come, and then you've got to practice. Being mentally tough, we all get sucked into uh, mental states or conversations or, or reactions that we don't like, that we know don't serve us. And that's okay. We all do it. We're human, right? Like nobody's perfect. But the ability to understand emotional mastery to the point where you can pull yourself out of that and snap into peak performance on demand, that's a skill that, that I think a lot of pro athletes have. Um, they can compartmentalize things and they can get into the zone and block out everything else. You have to be able to do that at that level. And I think that's probably the most, the most profound one for me is, is just taking a minute, getting my swing thoughts together, if you will, and blocking out everything else and focusing on what I need to do and, and just being present in that moment um, has been really, it's, it's served me well. And I, I think it serves people who can do that really well. Yeah. Emotional mastery. I love that you said that. Is there certain things that you have done to enhance that, you know, being, being able to develop that, that self-awareness and practices that you can implement? Um, I mean, I, I put myself, I surround myself with people who, you know, one of my mentors and, and best friends was my sports psychologist from ASU when I was 19 years old. I, I talked to him yesterday on Zoom and he walked through this entire thing again. And so it just, it, it's timely that, that this is being recorded the day after that. But man, they're, they're surrounding yourself with people who understand it and people who aren't going to have a victim mentality and people who understand that they are responsible for their own happiness, their own attitude, their own perspective, their own success. Doesn't mean shit goes right all the time. I mean, it doesn't. But it does mean that you're accountable to it and that you're working on it and that you're surrounding yourself with people who inspire you to be your best version of yourself. And I think that's, you know, that's all we can really expect of ourselves is to put in the work and try to get on a trajectory that over time, there'll be peaks and valleys, uh, but that over time puts you where you want to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I've found, you know, the more I surround myself with other people, I just constantly get elevated. And I've also been able to elevate other people, which is, you know, a cool aspect that comes with that when you surround yourself with, with other people that have similar goals and similar mindsets. You're so far ahead of the game, dude. Like you're, you're so positive and you're such a great influence and you show up so, so well. So, I mean, I'm going to be 41 next week. I'm, I'm, you're way ahead of where I was when I was your age. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I do. You know, it's uh every day trying to work, work harder, just like you mentioned, like working to get better. Um, now to, to transition into like the finding people, you know, I find that to be such a difficult thing, especially when I was first getting started because, yeah. and, and maybe you can relate to this as well. Like when you first get into entrepreneurship, you, you feel like you're alone and you're like, no one else is thinking this way. No one else is feeling this way. Maybe you didn't have that because you were surrounded by professional athletes that have to think that way. No, um, so I'd love to kind of, yeah, like I definitely what, relate to it. it. It's it's isolating and it's not. Go ahead and finish your question. I, I've got. Oh well, yeah, I was gonna say. So like, how did you find other people? What was your process in like being able to surround yourself with these other people? Were there things that you had to sacrifice as well? It's gotten a lot easier. Um, I think I started my first company in 2006. I mean, it was a video resume company for context. This was pre-iPhone that came out in 07. Broadband internet wasn't everywhere yet. Like no, not everyone was a publisher with you know a computer in their pocket that you just pull out and make HD video. Um, 
and finding people that understood that kind of world or that kind of vision was really, really hard with the advent of, and just the, the maturation of the internet and broadband and, and cell phones and all the things, all the tools we take for granted today, it's made it much easier to really shrink the world and find your tribe, find your people, you know, BBD um, with James and, and tribe with Stu McLaren and some of those programs that you, you purchase, you purchase them for the content and the thought leadership, but what you end up getting and keeping is the community. And so mm -hmm. I think being involved and investing in your growth, not just around this thought leader, this expert can teach me this how to thing, but am I putting myself in a position where people are going in the same direction I am? And how can I both learn from and give back uh, to that community as I continue on my journey? I think that's, that's really a critical thing to think about and, and podcasts, books, uh, online courses, things like that make it so easy now to find, no matter what you're into, it could be entrepreneurship, it could be underwater basket weaving or some crazy niche thing. There's an online community for it, I promise you. And so it's gotten much easier. Um, 15, 20 years ago, it was a little tougher to, to find those people because it was just more of an analog world or a very slow digital world, I guess. Yeah, and I think- Yeah, I sound old, jeez Louise. <laughs> well, you look great, you know? <laughs> great chin hair is coming in. <laughs> But it's, you're, you know, you're hitting so many nails on the head too on regards to like the accessibility to so many things in regards to books and podcasts and, um, you know, Facebook groups to be able to jump to programs to be able to, you know, pay for and go to. And I find that a lot of people often, they, they don't even look for those opportunities. You know, I was like talking to somebody recently and they're like, oh yeah, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, what's stopping you from doing that? And they just had this like list of excuses of like why they can't do this. And, and I'm just like, there's so many ways for you to get your foot in this door and you just like blocked off everything, you know? Um, so it's such an interesting aspect. And like you said, podcasts and books, are there certain, um, it's kind of a different question about my certain podcasts and books that have really um, helped you along this journey? There's a bunch. Um, Blue Ocean Strategy was was one. We're just uh, it's more of a business book. It's it's kind of a tougher read. It's not a simple read, but it goes into the difference between blue oceans, uh, which are basically untapped markets, kind of like micro segments with inside opportunities. That's a good one just to get you thinking about like, am I am I positioning what I want to do in a way that's going to actually be responded to in the market? Is there an opportunity here? That was one. Um, the one thing by Gary Keller. I think is really, really helpful to kind of help manage overwhelm and, and focus on what's the big, and the question in the book, I'll, I'll shortcut it for you if you haven't read it, is what's the one thing I could do today that would make everything else less important or unnecessary? And it's just this constant mantra of like, what's the big rock I can move today? Because I can't do everything on my to-do list. We never do. <laughs> and that's why to-do lists can spiral into almost feeling overwhelmed and, and completely out of control. We're not doing our best work. We're trying to check off boxes rather than move one big idea forward. Um, so that, that those are some atomic habits. Um, in terms of podcasts, I, you know, James Wedmore's is is really really good. Um, there's so many. I mean, there's so many, but those are those are some of the ones that come to my top of my head. Yeah. No. And I think you know there is so many. I got like a list of books and a bookshelf filled and. You know, sometimes the top books like change based on, uh, yeah. you know, what, what you're reading at, at the time. Um, it's such a fascinating, um, fascinating world, you know. But again, having that access is, is so powerful. You know, we one, often... one thing I want to touch on is just I think as you were talking about it, it can become overwhelming. You know, if, if people are like, well, I should do that. And they go into the app store and they're like or the iTunes store and they start looking at podcasts. 
you might just shut down and be like, this is, this is entirely too overwhelming. So you have to be cognizant of who you listen to and also who you don't listen to. So sample some stuff, find your people, but like, don't think that you need to consume more content at the expense of making progress and trying and failing and iterating and moving because you can learn forever without making any actual progress. And, and I think content that's easy to consume like that can mask itself as progress and we can feel like we're doing more than we are. And so I would just caution people to not get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of things you could listen to, learn, or hear about. Uh, and make sure that you're prioritizing putting that learning down at least routinely and, and doing some counter blocking to make sure that you're actually taking the action on the thing that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm currently listening to the book, um, the entrepreneur roller coaster by Darren Hardy. And, you know, one of the things he mentions in the book, you know, he mentioned like, Oh, somebody was trying to, they made a goal. They're like, I want to read 30 books, you know, this year, you know, something like that. And he's like, well, actually, I'd rather you just read one book 30 times. Um, yep. And that's exactly it is, you know, often in this space, you know, we're constantly, you know, and as marketers, I think we were like the shiny object, the training. Oh, I love, you know, what more training, you know, more books, more podcasts. A new funnel hack somewhere <laughs> that I need to learn. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the, the actual practice, like how can we take the things that we've learned and implemented. Do you have any practical strategies that are helpful for like, like when you learn something and like, and making sure that you implement what you've learned? This is going to be mind blowingly simple. You ready? Just decide to implement it and block out the time on your calendar. <laughs> you just decide like there, there's no magic formula. There's no like big process you have to go through. Like here's my goal. I'm clearly defined on where I want to go and what I'm trying to build. Here are the learnings I think are going to be helpful. Here's kind of my roadmap to where I, you know, I know what I don't have ready to kind of move there. Let's actually decide to implement the thing I'm learning about to check off that first, that first big one thing to go back to the book that gets, gets the foundation rolling. And I think, I mean, you're familiar with, with James and BBD. This, he has this, this metaphor of building bridges mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs are guilty of this. And I was guilty of this. And so it like just hit me in the, hit me in the face a couple of years ago. This idea of like starting something and you're building a bridge to like, I think he calls it desire island, right? And so you get, I don't know, a couple hundred meters into the, into the water and you're like, oh, there's this other thing I should build. I want to build a membership site anymore. I want to build an online course. And so you, you stop and then you start building this other little bridge for a course. Then you decide a webinar and then you decide you want to pivot. And at the end of the day, this was me. You end up with like 63 incomplete bridges that didn't actually ever get to the thing. And so I think that's, if we can just decide to take our learnings and isolate them almost like a laser and just put them singularly focused on getting that first bridge built, that's going to do a lot. And even if you want to pivot your audience at the end, the work that you're doing, you're still building the infrastructure and the system and the content and the skills to be able to serve any audience. Even if you change your business model, even if you, because the vehicle doesn't matter. We get hung up on membership site or course or mastermind or this or that or whatever. Um, the vehicle doesn't matter. The outcome matters, the messaging matters, and who you serve matters. And if you can keep those things aligned, the rest of the pivots are really easy. Absolutely. I shouldn't say they're easy. They're simple. They're a lot more simple than we think they are. Right. And that is such a great point. I love that you said that. There's a, a big difference between simple and easy. 
And we often love to make things complicated and hard, <laughs> you know, with so many things, like you mentioned, building multiple bridges. And I know that, you know, people are listening and thinking like, oh yeah, no, I've definitely, um, I've done that. I know that I've, you know, definitely done that in, in this, this process, you know, and it's normal. I think it's natural. Like you're not, you wake up as an entrepreneur, especially if you start young, like you're not going to hit very few people are Mark Zuckerberg right? Like you're not going to hit your first startup into a global behemoth. It just, it does not happen. And so expect that again, it kind of goes back to like anticipating the peaks and valleys and my college football coach, uh, he's just literally halftime or even pregame, you know, the games are going to go like this. We're going to have momentum. They're going to have momentum. It's going to be turnovers. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. And like your job is to just stay here and trust the process. And I think entrepreneurship's the same way. Like there will be all these things. And if you are focused and you are disciplined and you're just even keeled and level. Don't get too full of yourself when things go well. Don't get down on yourself when they don't. And if you can just do that and trust your plan and keep moving, I think that's what the most successful people do. And they do it quietly. Like the overnight success happened because somebody that you weren't paying attention to was doing the same things for five years. And then it popped. You're like, where'd they come from? Mm -hmm. They came from that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, with what you said too, like the bridges and that aspect of, you know, when you're focusing on one thing and then even Mark Zuckerberg too, you know, people don't realize too, it was called like FaceApp or, you know, like there's all these different iterations and people think that he just was like, oh yeah, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, it just was this, you know, what it is today, not realizing that there were so many behind the scenes things that are going on to testing and figuring out what's working. You know, it was, it was basically like a hot or not app. That's what it basically. was. That's what it <laughs> yeah, And it had, it, it also like the foresight of the entrepreneur and what, what the vision is for what their, what their vehicle is. I mean, I remember probably around 06 or 07 when YouTube sold to Google for like a billion dollars and Zuckerberg turned down an offer to sell Facebook for 2 billion. And I thought he was insane. How much bigger is Facebook now? Like he probably makes $2 billion and you know, he's probably worth 30 billion just in his stock price. So I was wrong on that one, but he had a, these visionary entrepreneurs, they're aligned to their vision. They're able to, and I don't, I don't want anybody to go compare themselves to Mark Zuckerberg, whether you hate Facebook or not, what he's built and the, the strategies and just the foresight to see where it's going is probably as, as close to like Steve Jobs vision as, as I can think of in my life, having seen facebook i remember myspace like i don't even know if you remember that remember tom tom was yeah tom <laughs> so what you know what zuck's been able to do and just stay that course and see things that people didn't see and trust and trust his process for better or for worse he's trusted it he's built a massive massive business yeah and i think a big part of his process comes down to just doing and figuring out what's working you know you can't just like, a lot of times people are like, oh, I, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what the, you know, I don't know what the end goal is or, or where it's going. But the process of taking that one step forward, building that bridge a little bit further can have dramatic impact. You know, James Webmer, I love his quote, um, you know, action creates clarity, you yeah. know, and we get, we get so caught up. You talked about earlier, you were like, just decide. And it's the same thing. If you can just decide, I'm going to do this and go this step yeah. and just let the next piece come can have such a huge impact on your life and in your business. You overthink everything. And 
you know, people are afraid and, and we get in our heads about stuff. And, you know, if, unless it's clear, unless we're, unless we're certain, like we wait for proof. And that was, that was the thing, honestly, for me, back to my, my sports psych buddy and helping me. The only reason I got to the NFL was because I learned that lesson at 20 years old. Don't wait for proof. Like everything we've done in our life from our first breath to our first steps to our first business has been for the first time. There's literally nothing that any of us had ever done when we showed up in this world. And so not waiting for proof, like I wasn't a pro athlete until I was. Nobody wins an election until they do. Nobody's an entrepreneur until they are. Nobody sold a business until they did it. If we wait for proof, you don't, like, that doesn't even make any sense. And so this, I, I keep trying to keep that in the back of my head, uh, even today, like, don't wait for proof, act as if, and, and it's kind of very Jamesy in different words, but like, be that person now and the outcome is going to happen if you wait for proof and then you'll be okay and then you'll start doing things that, that successful people do or you know elected officials do or pro athletes do you're never going to become that thing that you seek to be so that's do not wait for proof because it's impossible. yeah <laughs> yeah and even in a, in a more simplistic aspect of you know like riding a bike you know it's like you you have to just like ride it you have to fall off a few times like maybe start with some training wheels you know it's just that that process of doing you can't expect to be great at something without first being bad you know when you started playing football for the first time you were (laughs) out there just like you know kicking massive punts you know it starts with with the process of just like figuring it out for sure for sure and uh, you know the analogy of a bike is, is what it's like, it's like riding a bike because once you know, you know, and I think there's so many things in business that are like that and and you don't get those things without taking that action. So not to continue to beat the dead horse, but uh, if you take nothing else away from this, deciding and actually moving ahead is probably the most important thing you can do, no matter how the results turn out. Yeah. And I love the, you know, it is, um, it's a great theme for, for this episode in just deciding because, you know, I think that, we often don't realize the choices that we have um, in regards to kind of what we talked about earlier in regards to like emotional intelligence and how we react to certain things. You know, you mentioned like being on an even keel during the football game and, you know, you can choose to feel angry. You can choose to feel sad. And people, when you, when you say it like that, people are like, what? No, Mike, but everything is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, there's literally nothing in the external world that can make us feel a certain way. And there's an exercise I was going through yesterday with, with Chris, I keep talking about, and it was literally proving that. And I'll run through it really quick so people can understand it because like people will push back on that. Well, I know it's, this happened. And so, you know, this is how I feel about it. And I have no, I need to get over it. So basically it, the exercise goes something about, you know, thinking through the time in your life that was most tragic. Like, how did you feel? Like, think about a time you had a lot of tragedy. What was the emotional state or emotional states that come up for you when you put yourself back in that moment? People label them and, you know, it's fear, it's, it's sorrow, it's, it's um, mind blank. It's bad things, right? Like nothing, nothing above, nothing that would be emotionally masterful. And then this, the other part of the exercise is think about something that was freaking hilarious. When you were just out with friends or like you could be family, like whatever that time was, what's the emotional state or states you feel then? 
and literally in the course of that exercise, it usually takes like five, seven minutes when you're walking through it like in front of an audience or something. But what you prove to them in real time is that literally nothing happened in the external world. And you just identified that you could be feeling sorrow and despair and loss and fear and sadness and or feeling content, excite, excited, you know, all these different positive things. And so it's, it just proves to people, and it's a very simple little exercise that like all that shifted was you deciding how you wanted to feel and what states you were allowing yourself to be. And so that's really important. Nothing, nothing happens to us. And that's a victim mentality type thing. And we're conditioned. It's not your fault if people feel that way. We're conditioned to think that the external world informs how we feel and therefore how we respond. It's actually not true. You know, these thoughts don't like float around and they're just out there in the world and just pop in your head. Like you decide to think what you think. You decide to interpret it the way you interpret it. You decide to take the actions you take. And as soon as you can be self-aware enough and like confident enough to be like, I own that for better or worse without any judgment, you have a very easy opportunity to change it because it's just simply focusing on something different, which goes back to the athlete thing. Standing in the back of an end zone with 70,000 people and somebody's yelling, shake it, you suck. <laughs> you hear him. You trust me. You hear him. We're like the breathing and like the focus on, oh, isn't that interesting? He's yelling at me. And then like, what do I have to do? And you, you just shift into that into that zone of, of here's what I'm going to do now. Here's where my focus is. And the outcome, if you listen to that Yahoo, is not going to be good. If you focus on what you do and trusting your process and trusting your talent and going out and, and executing and enjoying the fact that you're getting heckled while you're crushing the other team, it's a hell of a lot of fun and things go well. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I think often, you know, we have, it's easier to choose to let other circumstances or feel like you don't have the control, you know, like, oh, you know, like it was because of this. Yeah, it's super easy. Um, and you get people to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. How are you? How are you? And, and like, it feels good. Like you want people to, that's, that's part of like the emotional human experience. And it's fine to want that. But anyway, like, yeah, it, it's easy to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, to choose, you know, something else, you know, oh, you know, I messed up the point because I, you know, I heard that guy yell something and it's like, what, you know, come on, like that, you have And that's, control. I think that's the like radical accountability in sports, especially in football, like my high school coach, he, uh, he played at Notre Dame. And so he won a national championship on, I don't know, 88 or something like that. So he was, he was a backup quarterback, but he played at a high level, he played for Lou Holtz, like, so when he talked, you know, as 16, 17 year old kids were like, okay, but you jump off sides a couple of times and there was a mental lapse or he didn't feel like the team was focused. The next penalty, guess what? Everybody stopped. Everybody ran. Like the accountability of like, I don't care whose fault it was. You are contributing to this and you have a chance to impact it positively, even if it's not you physically. And I think that's a really, really valuable lesson, like to be that accountable everything that happens in your life because things don't happen to us they happen for us that's just a decision is this happening to me or is this happening for me now i have an opportunity to change my perspective or change where my energy is flowing and actually go execute something that i give a damn about rather than this like oh what was me and posting on facebook about you know how, how you got laid off or, or whatever happens and things do happen but they happen for us not to us right and a lot of times it can lead to something great, you know, something like, you know, getting fired can lead to another opportunity. It's how you choose to, you know, make that experience, um, you know, within yourself and, and what you 
wanted to move forward. You know, I always, when I think about like choosing, like, yeah, you can either choose to be happy or choose to be sad. Like, which one sounds nicer? You know, I got yeah. two options for you. Yeah. And, and what do you which want? one actually, you know, regardless of which one you choose, your actual external circumstance is the same until you change it. So what's a more powerful state? Woe is me or bring it up. Yeah. I mean, they always use, you know, analogies too of, you know, people that are, you know, less off and are just like super happy, you know, yeah. and people who are super wealthy and absolutely miserable. There's a know? study, I think it's Daniel Kahneman did a study on the, I'm going to butcher this. So don't quote me on this. I'll try to find the link for you um, after this. You can actually have people read the real stuff, but it's about the intersection, how related money is to happiness. And it's almost like this exponential curve up until you hit a number. And then from that number, all the way out, no matter how high the number goes, your, your happiness line stays basically flat. And so I always ask people, like, what do you think that number is where, you know, you're exponentially happier until you earn this much and then it's, then it's the same? What's that number? And the number is $70,000. It is 70. I, I, I thought it was 70 because I, I think I've heard this before. Yeah. 70 grand, right? Which, okay, if you're making a lot less than 70 grand, then if you're making 30 and then you start making 60, yeah, you're almost doubly happier <laughs> because you can afford more things and it's more comfortable and you remove that stress. But once you earn 70K and you can put a roof over your head and make sure you eat and you're not living high on the hog, but you're not, you don't need things that you just physically need. You know, your, your Maslow's hierarchy is taken care of. Whether you make 17 million or 87,000, like it doesn't move your happiness barometer very much. And I think that's a, that's a study that, that's interesting and important and that also makes a complete amount of sense when you look at it. Yeah. And the hierarchy is so interesting in, in focusing on that. And, and we have a mentality, especially sometimes in our growth mindset is like more, 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 you know, if I have more followers, if I have more money, then, then it will do, you know, this for me. And, you know, and it, get, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And you were mentioning, you know, about just like the, the mindset of like being it first and then the rest, you know, will follow. And I think that's just such an important concept to, to hone in on. Give me one second. This fan just popped off popped, and I know you can hear it. So let me turn this off. Hold on one second. All right. All right. Um, perfect. Um, so to transition a little bit, cause I'd like to, um, I want to make sure that I ask you this question because you're reading atomic habits right now, you know, professional athlete transition. I would love to know a little bit about your morning routine and what that process um, is like for you. I think people hear my background and they hear what I do and they expect a morning routine that is like, oh. I've got five kids, my morning routine. Um, when they're not in school, I'm, I mean, I'm up at six or six thirty every day anyway. I don't even know why I just, I just kind of am when they're not going to school, I go to the gym in the morning and I'm home to help them get ready for the day and whatnot. When they're in school, which they finally went back after seven months at home. Thank you. Um, so if it lasts, my morning routine is still getting up at the same time, getting some work done. It's really about that one thing. Like what are the big things I need to get done early? And so I try to do the most important things and the most time consuming brain things out of the way in the morning, along with, working out or exercising. Cause I think for me, that's always been my stress relief. And maybe that's from being an athlete and just being used to it. You know, I didn't 
have a drink of alcohol in my life till I was 21 years old. And like, I never to this day have done a drug or smoked a cigarette. Like that was just a choice. So my stress relief, rather than going to things like that, has always been exercise. And I know my brain works a lot better and I'm more focused and I'm more, more free, more happy, more, more something. I don't even know. It's the, the chemical release from that, but working out in the morning, getting the biggest things done are the really important parts. I'll tell you what hasn't worked for me to save some people some time. I used to, before I discovered time blocking, I used to just try to like put everything. So like these 15 minutes, I'm going to do this and this hour, I'm going to do this. And then something would happen where I'd miss one of those things. And I felt like either I didn't get it done. My whole day blew up or I'd have to circle back. And therefore something I had planned would get pushed. And so what's really been helpful for me is, is structuring my day to get the physical activity and the most important thing done as early as possible given that life happens and not judge myself if one of my kids wakes up with a fever and my day goes to hell like that that's part of it and it's fine um but time blocking and really focusing on those most important things as early as possible and then give, i think giving yourself some grace is a uh, very important thing and and we don't do that very well so if we we fall behind or if we miss something or if we don't get it done the time we think we're gonna get something done we want to tell ourselves a story about what that means and then we hold it over ourselves and it creates this anxiety and pressure that actually makes you perform at a lower level than you would otherwise so just understanding and, and being forgiving that like you're doing the best you can and if you're structuring your day in a way that is intentional that you follow more often than you don't that's awesome but just understand there's going to be things that blow your schedule up or your to-do list up and it's really important to acknowledge it again self-aware like oh that blew up in my face huh. how can i help how can i prevent it from happening again but i'm also not going to dwell on it and think that i somehow am not you know a disciplined or successful person who's who's working in the right direction um, simply because this calendar appointment or this day went completely off the rails because i'll tell you five freaking kids things go off the rails more often than they don't uh, so the big thing uh, most important thing and exercise as early as possible is is a really long answer to a question that was probably a terribly disappointing answer compared to what you might have thought. I 100% disagree. I thought that was a fantastic answer. Um, I think that, um, you know, someone like myself, um, who is more like, I do have all of these things that I do. Um, but I think the most important thing, in my opinion, of what you hit on is, and, and Gretchen Rubin talks about this in uh, the Habits book, Better Than Before, about not being chained to your habits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's to me a very similarity to what you were talking about in that when you don't have your, you know, routine or that thing that you want to do in the morning, that it doesn't just like totally throw you off or you yeah. can't do anything now because, oh, I didn't work out in the morning. It's ruined my whole day. Now I can't do anything. <laughs> you know? yeah, now I won't eat because I don't want to gain. It's, it's that. I think the Atomic Habits book talks about casting votes for the person you want to be. I think that's a really, I don't think it says that. I know it says that, but it, it's a really important idea. And what they mean by that is if you don't get your full workout in, do 10 push-ups. you know, do one push-up. put your running shoes on and go for a walk. Like, and it's not about doing the best, most perfect workout. It's about casting a vote for the kind of person who never misses a workout. And I think that little habit hack, if you will, can be really helpful. So maybe you don't get to this key project, but maybe you sit down and you write the subject line for the email that you'll write tomorrow. 
maybe you bullet out what it's going to be for your course, even though you didn't sit down and design it in five hours you had allocated to do it. So there's, there are ways to, I hate, I hate saying trick our brain because it is just simply deciding to look at it differently, but game it, gamify it for yourself all you want. Like, I think we all know how our brains work and where we're, where we uh, tend to be hard on ourselves or not. So play a game with yourself to get the result you want, but finding ways to do a portion of or a smaller version of what you intended is a really good way from this book, I think, to release yourself from the the guilt or the pressure of of thinking that you aren't on pace. And and I know for some personality types, being behind or not being on track or feeling like you're never going to get out of this hole you've created for yourself is completely paralyzing. Uh, and so that might be a little way that helps maybe somebody out there um, get around that, which would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone is different. I think that's an important thing too. So, you know, again, for you to say like, oh, you know, my habits are are not what you expected. And it's like, no, I think that's what brings so much value and insight because um, everyone's personality types are different. Everyone has different, you know, routines and things going on. And I know with like, with kids, it's a whole, well, I don't know, but you know, you get it. <laughs> well, in 10 years when my youngest is driving and the rest of them are in college or adults, like my habits and my routines will be totally different and how I can control my day will be completely different. But the reason I do what I do and have the flexibility I have is to be there for them. So it, it, it's these, there can be conflicting priorities, I think. And that's what I talk about with, with parentpreneurs. Like there's life and then there's your business and they have to be able to integrate. And you have to understand that some days are going to be very personal heavy and some days are going to be very business heavy in terms of how you have to spend your time. Uh, and that's okay. And it, it's good. It's normal. And in the end, it'll balance out as long as you have a plan and attack it from a, from a place of self-awareness and, and personal growth rather than guilt, shame, or overwhelm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, one of the, the key things that, that you're kind of bringing up there, I'm noticing is, um, you know, the, the work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of what's your, what's your take on, on that? That's a great question. I think it's changed. I, when I heard it years ago, work-life balance meant just that. Everything was balanced and every day had a little bit of everything. And I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like a relationship, kind of like a marriage there are days and there are times, maybe entire seasons of life or, or your day or whatever, where it's 90, 10, there's no balance. You know, like you're, you're giving here and the other person isn't, or you're fully committed to getting this work project done and your family's not getting the time it deserves. Balance means in the end, that ship kind of balances itself out. It means that you, you come out of that. And I think when people get into unhealthy situations, either in their own heads, at work uh, to create stress or, or in relationships where they're not being present. It's because they stay over indexed in one area or the other for far too long and other things happen that aren't addressed. So balance doesn't mean every day is 50, 50. It doesn't mean every week, every month, every quarter is going to be balanced. It does mean that, that you can have things that are genuinely as important in completely other aspects of your life and just making the choice, to look at them versus competing interests and competing priorities or other priorities that happen outside that box. And I think choosing how you show up, no matter how much time it is, it's not about spending nine hours at work and then nine hours at home. It's how are you showing up in those moments? And I think on our personal side in particular, especially if you have young kids, 
being present for 15 minutes and being as excited about that picture that you just saw pull, come out of a backpack as the six-year-old who drew it is means so much more than spending three or four hours sort of being around. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but, but balance no. isn't 50-50 all the time. It, it sorts itself out over time if you do it right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, a key point in what you said, um, about the balance is that there is balance. It's just not an everyday balance. I think people think that if they don't have that mix of both throughout the day, then like it's thrown off. Whereas, Hey, there's going to be times we're going to be working more. That's fine. Just make sure that there's, you know, another part where you're spending more time with your family and it's always going to be, you know, you choosing those things. I love that, that what you mentioned and like, don't, don't think them as competing. I think that's a, a super important part in just being like happy with the choices that you're making and doing a mix of both and not thinking like it's this like balance. Oh my gosh. This like yeah. struggle where you're being pulled, um, you know, instead of just the choices, you know, like that we've talked about so much today. And, and don't worry about the time. I mean, it's not about the time. It's about how you show up and the attention you give. So your spouse doesn't necessarily need four hours of your half, half attention. They might need one comment or one conversation or 15 minutes of you being completely present at dinner rather than checking your phone or on your computer. Your kids, same way. Like, so just when you have time, don't worry about balancing out the hours, but do balance out your energy and make sure that when you're with your family, particularly if you've been busy at work for any length of time, you can, again, back to like what I learned in sports, compartmentalize that, put it in a box. Now I'm here. How do these people need me to show up right now and make that decision that I'm here for them right now and nothing else is going to cross my mind until this thing is over. Um, whether the kids go to bed, whether dinner's over, whatever, whatever the end point is of that focus, then it's okay to put it back to work. And you don't, you're not judging yourself for doing that if you're able to just pop in and out of those moments of being present. Absolutely. Yeah. Being present is so important. Quality over the quantity. The hours don't matter. Just focus on when you are there. Um, you know, being fully present. I think that is yeah. absolutely huge. Like, oh, big whoop, you know, you're not watching TV with like your wife. Well, make time to like go to dinner and talk to them because that's going to be much more valuable than just like sitting, you know, on a couch watching something like mindlessly. Even you know? five sec five minutes to just listen. Even if you don't care, guys, even if your wife's like just wanting to vent, like, listen, kids, same thing. Just listen. Like that, that can be enough. Like just be present and fully pay attention and, and let them be heard. Even if you don't have a response, even if you don't get it, even if you think it's silly, it's important for them. So therefore it's important for you to show up and, and support them that way. So that's my parenting relationship advice for what's worth. <laughs> Love it. Yes, extremely valuable. Um, and I appreciate your time. And I think this has been so awesome. Um, so many valuable um, different points that we were able to, to hit on. Um, I know there's like, you know, just packed with value here. Um, so real quick, um, what's, the, what's the best way for, you know, people to get in touch with you, follow you? Instagram, Pinterest um, handles uh, Coach Nick Murphy on there. And then I'll, I'll shoot over my LinkedIn as well. That's always a, a good place, depending. I LinkedIn's a little stuffy for me as, a, as an entrepreneurial minded person. I feel like it's a little fake. And so I, I like the stories and some of the stuff that they're doing now, but um, Instagram and, and Pinterest are probably the best places to find my content. And then that'll link you back to my website, which is uh, mycertifiedguide.com. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. This was, this was amazing. I really appreciate your, your time here, um, you know, and all your valuable insight. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a blast. I, I, I'm looking to look at your funnel on your whiteboard in the back. I'm excited to see what you do next, man. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, you know, as always, remember, let's keep growing together. Wait, wait, one more thing. I would first like to say thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this message, please take a moment to write a review. By writing a review, it helps people find this message and helps me help more people. And if you really, really liked it, and you think this message could help someone else, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and please tag me at Nick J. Bonnie, N-I-C-K-J-B-O-N-I, so I can show my appreciation for you. We can all win by helping each other grow. Thank you. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon.